Ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking? Well, that's confidential. But in this podcast, a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain. Hi, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified counselor. We discuss books, movies, TV shows, motherhood, current events, clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. All right, so here we are back on the podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We are here with Dr. Kate Walker, a.k.a. Dr. Kate. And if you haven't heard her on the podcast before, you can go back to, I believe it's season two, where we talk about becoming a therapist. And she talks about clinical supervision, which I believe is one of her many areas of expertise. And um, today we're going to be talking about counseling bloopers, fumbles, foibles. (laughs) I looked at the thesaurus to find that word and I thought it was just so funny. So I had to include it. Like, who talks like that? <laughs> we do. Um, oh, we do. We just like to say the word foible. It's yeah. just so funny. And um, we're here to talk about that. And I reached out to her because I participate in a lot of her trainings, too, because she's a wealth of knowledge. And so she's an experienced counselor and counselor educator. And I thought, I really need somebody here who has the experience, but also who is articulate and funny and down to earth, but also who is not afraid of broaching these subjects with me because part of the goal on this podcast is to humanize therapists and to not be afraid of talking about when we make mistakes or our own mental illnesses or our own personal struggles. And so when we're talking about bloopers or messing up, I'm thinking, who could I talk to? I know who, Dr. Kate. So I thanks for that. coming back on the podcast. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, Crystal. This is a wonderful service that you do. This is a wonderful podcast. It's so awesome that you're putting things out into the community to kind of demystify us. I love it. Make us accessible. Yes, absolutely. That's totally part of the goal here. And if you could kind of reintroduce yourself to us, for those of us who haven't heard from you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a licensed professional counselor supervisor, a licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor. Uh, I have a PhD in counselor education. I have a clinical practice called Achieve Balance that it's completely virtual. Thank you, COVID. And I have a training company called Kate Walker Training, where I design the course to become a supervisor in Texas. It's a 40-hour training. It's completely online. I was the first to have a completely online course for LPCs and LMFTs uh, for the 40-hour training in Texas. So that was good. Lots of mistakes in there too. So we could talk about that. I do still teach. I do adjunct work. Currently, I'm teaching for the University of Texas, El Paso, uh, Texas A&M Central Texas. I teach occasionally for Sam Houston State University and University of Houston, Victoria. I am a mom of three, a wife of one, and I've got two dogs. Awesome. Thanks so much for telling us about your busy, busy life. 
I love to hear about what you're up to because I feel like you're a fellow creative, a person yes. who's always up to something new, right? Uh, absolutely. And so with that comes mistake making yes. and not being afraid to take risks. So you're a fellow risk taker, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's crack this baby open and talk about maybe some of our biggest yikes mistakes here we go into the okay vulnerability let's Let's just jump and let's Brene Brown this come on right (laughs) yeah totally have you ever had any foot in mouth moments either in session or as a therapist where you just really messed up wanted to crawl into a hole and die of embarrassment well it's funny because you mentioned that and I couldn't remember anything embarrassing Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. What that means is I had a a trauma response and my body's still protecting me from that. And it's not allowing me to have a memory because it must have been really awful uh, because I know embarrassing things happen. But what I did think of, it's actually an instance of countertransference, right? So countertransference is when as a therapist, we haven't quite worked through our stuff or stuff just kind of pops out and goes, surprise, you thought you worked through Mm -hmm. this, but you didn't. So my father had recently passed away and I thought I had done my grieving. I thought I was good to go back to work. And who walks into session but my father, right? Not really my father, but a guy who reminded me an awful lot of his mannerisms and things like that. And so there there was a moment in the session, he was in there with, with his wife and he did something, you know, he did the dad finger or something like that. And I burst out crying. So this is after I've been a therapist for like 10 years, like I'm pretty seasoned at this point and I was embarrassed and they were just caretaking me and I ended the session and I kind of, you know, inside wanted to say, okay, go away. Don't ever come back. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Right. But we have to take care of our client. And so I closed the session. I invited them to come back. They both called me, wanted to make sure I was okay. I'm just I'm mortified, but I knew enough about what was happening that I knew that I I needed to back away and I needed to go see my own therapist and kind of work through the stuff. And then how I remediated the situation, I did have a session with them later and just kind of process with them. How did they feel? How did I feel? So long and short, everybody survived, but it it was definitely something for the record books. Yeah. So what I'm hearing are a few elements of things that a good therapist would do. So one, I mean, we're human. Things like this happen to us in sessions. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say all the time, but occasionally, right? Like Mm -hmm. things pop up like countertransference where, like you said, you know, we haven't worked through something or something is just so raw and recent that we haven't been able or gotten the opportunity yet to Mm -hmm. go to our own therapy. Like maybe something happened last week. And it's not like we're going to work through it in three days, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to happen. I believe there are counseling gods. And so sometimes (laughs) I feel like the universe sends us purposefully people and clients and situations that show us things that we have to work through. But like in your case, what I'm hearing is that you had to work through some things and a good therapist like yourself recognized that situation. You prioritized the care of the client. Mm-hmm. You didn't avoid the right. difficult conversation that ensued afterward, meaning you continued to address the fact that there was a little bit of a breakdown there. 
even though you had a little bit of a moment or tearful moment in session, you didn't make it about yourself and continue mm -hmm. with processing your own grief. Yep, absolutely. So that's important to recognize because I think sometimes there's a temptation there <laughs> for humans to want to just continue processing their own stuff. Mm -hmm. Even therapists, right? For us wanting to just continue talking about our own issues in front of our own clients. Oh, and gosh. That's yeah. not fair and not ethical. <laughs> nope. Not okay. Not okay. Yeah. So I think you did the right thing. Thank you. Yeah. And it was a tough one. It was a tough one and surprising, you know. Well, we teach grad students, practicum students, whatever you're most afraid of is the thing that's going to walk through the door first or the person that's going to walk through the door first. And so I didn't realize that I was afraid of my dad walking through the door and lo and behold, he did. But that's sort of natural. You know, that's just something to be expected as a therapist. And that shouldn't scare you clients out there or potential clients. You know, you're not going to scare us. It's just that that's kind of humanizing because we don't know everything. We haven't met everyone. There is always going to be an issue or a person or a personality that we haven't encountered. And we are prepared for 98% of them. <laughs> so... That 2%, right. we're going to figure it out. We'll figure it out after you leave. We'll go look something up. We'll Google something. We'll look through a book. We'll figure it out. Exactly. At least the good ones will. The ones with self-awareness and mm -hmm. solid clinical skills and training, we right. will go and try to figure it out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. At least that's what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. I'd like to share an embarrassing moment. This is a little bit of a foot in mouth situation where one of my clients had broken her foot and she came into session and it's a little bit humorous in a weird way, but I tend to use humor in a few ways with my clients and I have to be really careful with it because I'm also aware that I use humor to cope with my own stress and my mm -hmm. own trauma sometimes. And so it's something that even in my own therapy has been brought up. And so I have to be super careful with how I use humor. Mm -hmm. And my client walks in, she's talking to me about her foot and how she broke it. And obviously that's a painful situation and it was very serious. And I guess, I don't know if it was like a Freudian slip or I don't know what you would call it, but it was literally like she was talking about something as we were leaving the office and I said, okay, break a leg. And I was like, and it's funny, right? Like, I think it's funny. That, like you're funny. laughing and I'm laughing. But the experience where she broke her foot was really traumatic. Like it was an accident. Like it was a car accident. It was a really Ugh. traumatic situation. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. seriously, Crystal? Like, yeah. why would you? And it's funny. And she kind of looked at me. She smiled. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she's like, it's too soon. And I'm like, yeah, too soon. And then so the next week when... <laughs> You know, I said it as she was walking out. So then mm -hmm. I couldn't necessarily address it in that moment. Had I said it in the beginning of session or in the middle, I would have addressed my weirdness and whatever came out of my mouth at that moment. Mm -hmm. But of course, the next week, I was a little bit dreading the conversation because I was like, great, now I got to address my weird humor. And <laughs> I kind of told her the same thing that I told you about how I use humor to cope with stress. And maybe mm -hmm. that's where that kind of unconsciously came up for me and I'm not sure if that's where that came from but I truly apologize if that hurt your feelings I'm so sorry that I said that and that was really inappropriate of me and she said 
I thought it was funny too, but you know, just kind of how it was like bad timing and things mm-hmm. like that. And we got over it and it was fine. And yeah. we continued good work together and she graduated from therapy and it was fine. Yeah. But it was just like really it's something that maybe you would see on a sitcom <laughs> or something and yeah. it would be funny to an audience, but right. in real life, IRL <laughs> not funny, not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of made a small rupture in our relationship. And so that's the kind of thing that I feel with embarrassing moments in session happens is that there are like small breaks in rapport, which is something Mm -hmm. we value very much with our clients is building rapport, building rapport, building trust, building relationship, Mm -hmm. building alliance. And then something we do or say, whether it's consciously by omission or even on purpose or whatever it is, mm-hmm. we can easily break or cause small ruptures or large ruptures in the relationship. And then we have to go back and repair. Right. I believe it's our ethical responsibility to go back and repair those things. Well, look what you did, though. You actually turned it into a therapeutic moment. You modeled owning and taking responsibility and accountability. And so it went from being a mistake to something that showed your vulnerability and your ability to confront and your ability to talk and have a conversation. So that's, I think, the art, you know, what we don't get a master of science in this, we get a master of arts. That's the art of this is learning how to turn almost anything into a therapeutic moment. Right. And I have to say that that probably happened when I was about five years into my career. It wasn't Mm -hmm. one of those situations that happened very early on. And so maybe that has to do with how I was able to kind of turn Mm -hmm. it into an artful moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So kind of along the same lines of, I guess, experience, Mm -hmm. right? And making these mistakes when you're maybe a more seasoned therapist, Mm -hmm. you're probably maybe more confidently Mm -hmm. or maybe more smoothly able to integrate that into a session and make it a learning opportunity Mm -hmm. versus when you're like a newly licensed therapist, do you think? What do you think of that? Well, my first field of expertise is music. And so I got my first degree in music. And I can remember, because I'm a bass player, listening to the jazz guys, right? And what the jazz guys would tell me is there's no such thing as a mistake. If you make a mistake, it's jazz. It just becomes part of what you're doing. Or do it twice, and then it really becomes something, (laughs) right, that the audience is like, oh, he meant to do that, or she meant to do that. Not quite the same for counseling. But I remember as a new musician, I couldn't do that. I mean, if it wasn't a note on the page and I made a mistake, I cried for days and, you know, but with expertise, right, that confidence that like Malcolm Gladwell talks about those, the 10,000 hours to mastery, which I think has been debunked, but let's go ahead and say it's true. Let's just say there's 10,000 hours before you come a master By 10,000 hours, yeah, you can work it into the flow of your session. You can make it a learning experience. You can model something that you want your therapist or your clients to work on. You know, I think that comes with that 10,000 hours. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a really great metaphor because it also reminds me of driving, right? Like at the very beginning, everything is so (laughs) procedural and robotic, but it doesn't make you a bad driver. It's just it makes you more careful or cautious or rigid, right? But then, you know, 20, 30 years later, you're just like, boom, in the car. And, you know, you don't have to think about where the key goes or 
putting things in drive or where the brake is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The other question I have for you is about talking to newer therapists. What would you say to newer therapists who are afraid of messing up or making mistakes? So two things. So I talk to new therapists clinically as, uh, you know, faculty or adjunct faculty, but I also talk to new therapists as a sort of business helper. I help people in my group, my Facebook group, Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses. And it's one of those things you kind of know the typical mistakes that new folks are going to make. And so it's kind of like, again, kind of going back to music, I used to teach orchestra, and I would come home and tell my husband, Oh, my gosh, the bow hold hasn't changed in 500 years. It looks like this. I've taught it 8000 times. I'm tired of teaching a bow hold, right? Well, with new therapists, clinically, what I tell them is, don't worry about the technique. It's all about the relationship. Rogers was right. Just show unconditional positive regard. Be with the person in the room, be present, and that is healing. We know that. Focus on being present, focus on reflecting, focus on don't ask questions, just focus on the relationship. And with new business owners, it's kind of the opposite. Well, not really. Scratch that. It's actually, I do a lot of leap before you look. Kind of what we're doing now, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. And Mm -hmm. then then there are ways to mitigate errors. Like one of my favorite errors in business, my first year in business is I forgot to pay taxes. (laughs) Yeah, that was was awesome, right? Because I came out of uh, being a teacher, right? Which, you know, magically the IRS fairies came and they tapped my paycheck and they took the money out. Um, Well, I just thought the IRS fairies would come to my business when I was asleep and magically take the money out. Well, then my uh, accountant at the end of the year said, okay, you owe. And it was this huge amount that I obviously did not have. And I'm like, oh, sir, you must be mistaken. (laughs) Surely, surely the taxes have been paid. And he's like, okay, Kate, sit down. Here's how you do quarterly taxes. Here's how you prepay. And that's when I first started my very, very first taxes savings account that gets 20% of every dollar that I bring in. But, you know, I was still in my 40s. I mean, this wasn't like a 20-year-old mistake or one of my kids, you know, with their first job. It just happens. Nothing's going to be perfect. You don't have the mastery until you've got your 10,000 hours. So now when I start something new, I'm just like, okay, 10,000 hours. I wonder how expensive this is going to be, this venture. You know, if I'm, you know, writing a book or making a training or starting a new business, it's like, okay, 10,000 hours. What kind of mistakes are we going to sprinkle in here? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm glad that you're talking to me about this because I knew that there was a method to my madness. (laughs) Right, right. Yes, because... I've just always been kind of like this big ideas kind of person. And I'm like, I don't necessarily have all the logistics outlined, but I know that if I don't move my ass, (laughs) then I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I just need that whole set of ideas that you're talking about that goes along with leap before you look. I think that there is something to that as far as business goes, right? Mm -hmm. I think with counseling, I agree. Like it is a little bit of the opposite. Like you're kind, you have a lot of responsibility and privilege 
with clients and you got to be more careful and stuff. But as far as like running the counseling business, I'm glad that I just like did it. And here we are, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think the last time we were on the podcast, you were telling me, I love your entrepreneurial spirit. And you were like, when are you going to go into like private practice? And I'm like, we'll see. I was like still scared. Mm -hmm. But then now I'm like, why didn't I just do that earlier? (laughs) The heck is my problem? You know? No, it's not a problem though. You, everybody gets to be level one. It's like I tell my kids. Yeah. Well, I told my kids, right? Everybody gets to be six and have waffles for dinner. You're 13. You don't get waffles for dinner. When you're 13, you eat what I cook, right? So everybody gets to be level one. And when you're scared, validate that, you know, reach out. Mm-hmm. That's what you did. Like you reached out to me. You got some more training. You're in the badass group. You're in the our Texas supervisor training group. So you aren't just getting your 10,000 hours. You're like grabbing your 10,000 hours. I mean, you're you're going for it. And that's what you got to do is just grab those experiences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just kind of be unapologetic about it, I think, mm-hmm. because that whole mindset of like, oh, I'm scared at the same time. Like, yeah. that's just extra energy, I feel like. That's something that I would add to tell newer professionals I mean, I've been in the field for 10 years, but I'm newer to private practice and supervision. Mm -hmm. And so that part of it still is like scary for me. But I'm like, you know what? I think I've got enough expertise to know where I'm going with Mm -hmm. it. Like I'm not a complete imposter. And I think that a lot of people, including myself in the beginning, spent a lot of time being anxious. Like, oh, what if people find me out? Or, oh, my God, like... What if people don't like me or, but that's just extra energy. Like just don't do that to yourself. That's what I would say. <laughs> or don't let it stop you. How about that? Yeah. Don't let it stop you. That's true because you might think it and that's mm-hmm. normal, mm-hmm. but don't let it stop you. Yeah. What about like maybe bigger or scarier things that have happened to you professionally and telling us how you coped? So the biggest, scariest thing, and I may have shared this on the last podcast, was when one of my interns actually filed a complaint against me. So I was their supervisor and I fired them and they filed a complaint with the board against me. And that was back in the day when the uh, boards were board was taking like three years to process complaints. So it's just like this thing weighing over your head. So luckily, I had not made mistakes, which was wonderful. And it actually led to me creating the training and collaborating with my mentor, Dr. Judy Detrude, to make some amazing paperwork and really good processes that we could teach other people. Um, Mm. So it wasn't necessarily a mistake, but as far as just being mortifying and humiliating and all of the things, there's nothing much that can compare to that. And knowing that you did the best you could and knowing that your systems were good. And of course, everything was fine. Nothing happened with it. It was thrown out. So yay. But professionally, that's when you really take an imposter hit, right? You're like, well, I knew they were going to find me out. And they have, you know, and then to see that tested. And on the other side, they're like, no, you did okay. Good job. Get out there and keep doing what you're doing. That's the message, right? The message is don't quit. You're too important to lose to things like getting in trouble or even thinking you're in trouble or somebody accusing you that you're in trouble, right? You have to be able to be confident enough to look and see, okay, wait a second. I am doing everything right. I am doing the best I can and keep moving. Yeah, that's really scary. Mm. And then talk about getting dragged through the mud for three years. 
three years, the backlogs oh. back in the day before the matrix and the ability, you know, the BHEC uh, Behavioral Health Executive Council got us smoother in our processes. So uh, yeah, three years. Wow. So, so how did you cope with that? Like a lot of deep breathing and yoga every day or and, what did you do? Denial, you know. It's just <laughs> Denial. Yeah, denial. You know, every day that okay. I didn't hear something or nothing came in the mail, I, you know, the first day that the complaint happened, I had one of those sort of beautiful mind moments where I'm, I told my husband, I said, I may spend the night in my office and I got out every piece of paper. I printed every email, almost every spot that was empty on the floor, on the couch, you know, any horizontal surface. I was piecing together a timeline and putting together a portfolio because I just finished my PhD. So I was good at this with a table of contents and references to the pages. So putting together this reply to the complaint. And after that, I mean, when I looked at this and I was like, okay, this is the best I can do. I've done the best I can. I think that was helpful for me to just kind of put it away and then I had the support of an amazing mentor, Dr. Judy Detrude. She was with me the whole time. She went with me to the meeting and just, you know, because it's not something we talk about as therapists, right? Because it's scary and kind of shameful. And we're like, oh, I've got, to, you know, where's my scarlet letter? And not. And it's funny, even telling the story, because it's been years, probably 10 years. It's so nice to tell the story because that takes the shame away from it too, which is part of what I love about this podcast today, because when we tell our stories, they lose their power to hurt us, right? And so yes. coping during the time of it was, yeah, a lot of denial, but coping afterward has been improving my systems, telling the story, and explaining how you're too important to lose to things like all the things, you know, giving up, going out of business, not knowing the rules, all the stuff. We want you to stay in business. We need you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like you made meaning out of it, right? Like absolutely kind of write the narrative through creating a really good training for future supervisors mm -hmm. and even your students and all of that. And then all of the documentation. Yep. I would um, say probably you know, I keep using these random percentages, but probably 90% of everything I've produced has come from that incident. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. You totally made meaning out of it. Mm -hmm. And didn't let it tear you down. Nope. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. You know, I think for me, one of the scariest things, I can think of a few, but I think one of the scariest things was going into private practice. Mm -hmm. Um but I think it was under the circumstances in which I did it. And I've talked mm -hmm. a little bit and referenced it in the podcast before. And just to make a long story short, there was kind of like some racial discrimination going on in my previous workplace. Wow. And so that was pretty scary for me because mm -hmm. I felt singled out and I felt like because of my vocal personality and I'm a Taurus and I just am stubborn and I'm like really ethical and I pride myself in being like really ethical mm -hmm. and like a strong advocate for my clients and for myself and for my supervisees. I'm like, they messed with the wrong person, you know, and <laughs> I will die on a hill, you know, mm -hmm. like there was a situation where I was confronted by like my supervisor and it was just a situation where it was just not pleasant and that was just really scary for me. 
just because there were like the racial underpinnings, you know, um, I'm yeah. a person of color and the people who confronted me were white and mm -hmm. it just did not feel good. I realized that was not like a healthy thing. <laughs> I'm good. laughing about it because it makes me uncomfortable. So like I talked about how I use my humor to cope. Yeah. Um, but I've worked through it like in therapy and things like that. I have avoided becoming impaired which is something that is in the ethical code, right? Like mm -hmm. we cannot be impaired right. while we are treating our clients. So I'm pretty sure that I've avoided more fumbles, bloopers, mm -hmm. and foibles by getting out of that system. <laughs> right. Because as it was, like my memory was like kind of getting like kind of funky and like foggy. And I was like forgetting like little things and like, you know, when you're under a lot of stress, like mm -hmm. you start to just make mistakes. And so I was like going down that road. And I think I was going to start making more mistakes and probably mm -hmm. more significant ones. And I was just like, mm, this is probably not good for me or my clients. So I'm going to remove myself from the situation. Right. And so that scary situation ended up turning into something good. And it ended up turning into me like just, you know what, I've got to be independent and go into my own thing and get away from kind of like a, like a toxic system. So yeah. that's kind of like one of the things that I think resonates the most with me at this moment, as far as like scary moments in my career, because that was certainly frightening. <laughs> But it's funny because what we're talking about here, it's funny because when we think, and I don't know, maybe this is also kind of how we're acculturated as women. When we're confronted, we think, oh, what have I done? And we're that shock. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said earlier, I think, you know, with me, my brain kind of shuts down, but that's our stress response, right? Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And so here mm -hmm. you are in your situation, you're like, you didn't make a mistake, but you had the freeze, fight, reaction, fight or flight reaction. It's weird how the, this is overlapping with both of our stories here, right? Because you didn't make a mistake. I didn't make a mistake. And yet here we are having this reaction like, you know, what mm -hmm. do I do? And what are you doing to me? And why are you doing this to me? Mm -hmm. Right? And so you were able to get out of your situation. I think that's pretty awesome. And I'm so glad you went into private practice. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it with your support and the community that you created online and some of the mentors that you have on there, which are pretty cool. So I love to hear that. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. So I found them to be very, very helpful. How does one repair with a client or what about a colleague? I think we've talked a little bit about repairing with clients, right? Like just kind of not being afraid of that conversation that's probably inevitable like okay yeah I've messed up I've foibled in front of you right mm -hmm. and so now we've got to address it and let's have that difficult conversation what do you think the best way to approach that you know uncomfortable it maybe it's not uncomfortable for you but I don't know what do you think is the best way to approach a conversation like that with a client I hate approaching clients with my vulnerability my theories are so, you know, I'm not like, oh, like Fritz Pearls or anything, but, you know, look at my background here. Like nobody knows where I am. Like nobody even knows, you know, nobody knows <laughs> anything about me. I am the, I'm the ice queen. And so I can't think of anything more difficult 
And this goes, you know, into my family of origin. I was raised in a family of boys in my, you know, my dad had a sign over the weight room in our basement that said, no pain, no gain. I'm very stoic by nature, you know, and so approaching someone with a mistake, <laughs> that's, you know, why don't you just like put a blowtorch on me, Crystal? I mean, this, oh my it's, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. A client, anybody else I'm pretty good at. You know, anybody else, I'm pretty okay. And just, you know, uh, but something about with our client, I think it's terrifying. Like, I, you know, when I burst into tears and um, had to repair that, because for me, there's an element of trust there. Like I should have my shit together. And then I didn't have my shit together and I felt like I let them down. I don't do disappointment. I don't like letting people down. So it's weird because a couple of things are going through my mind. When you think about repairing with a client because of that trust versus if I had to repair like with my husband or one of my kids or with you, Crystal, and I have to say, oh, man, I screwed up, totally screwed up. What do you need? How can I make this better? You know, and allowing you to express how you feel. It's I don't know. Maybe it's never easy. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe it's just never easy. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I feel like with people we know and love that are close to us, it might be a little bit easier because being vulnerable with them could be something that we're used to doing already, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There's a level of acceptance there where they have seen us fumble and have seen us at our worst or something. And it's just kind of like, okay, we've all made mistakes with each other. And like, maybe that's part of the dynamic already. But with a client... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is difficult. I can remember more recently with a client having to address when I was leaving to full-time private practice, having to let them know that I was leaving and I had to transfer them to somebody else in the agency. They were quite upset. And I did give them enough time, continuity of care, all of that, and making sure, again, I pride myself in being really ethical. And I tried to do it in the most like trauma-informed way possible and all of that. But it was just like, they were pretty upset and I tried to reflect upon like what mistake did I make? What could I have mm. done better to make it less of a, I guess, mistake on my end or where did I drop the ball? But I think still having to confront the fact that they were upset, right? Like let's have there a difficult conversation. Yep. You were disappointed in X, Y, Z. And I could see in your face that you were angry with me and you raised your voice or you whatever, Let's talk about that. And ew, yeah, that no, sucks. That sucks. <laughs> There's just nothing, nothing good about that. Yeah, no, mm, that is yucky. I so agree. It's so we're not really repairing the relationship. We're just trying to be as ethical as we can possibly be with a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's what I'm glad we're having this conversation on the podcast and so that people who are clients that are in therapy that are not in the mental health space understand that we're human too so that when we ask them or talk to them about effective communication skills for example we tell them hey when you go and use i statements with somebody and try to repair a situation or do a healthy confrontation with someone we understand that that's yucky <laughs> Yeah. But we know that it's necessary, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And that it's not rainbows and unicorns, but it's going to make it better. You know, like do you ever it- have clients ask, like, 
okay, Crystal, I tried that I statement thing and the person still got mad at me. So it didn't work. Right. Oh yeah. And so I think as therapists, we maybe do the same thing, right? Like, well, you know, they're still mad. So I must, I must still be at fault somehow. And it's like, no, you, I did everything I could do. You did everything you could do. They're still pissed, you know? So if you're a therapist listening to this or a grad student, when you check yourself and you know, you did everything you possibly could, and you took care of things and you repaired things where needed, you just got to sometimes take a deep breath and recognize people are still just going to be assholes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Something that I also tell my clients is like, whenever you communicate something or decide to finally kind of like discharge that from your being to someone else, it's for your sake. Sometimes Mm. it's not really for their sake. And we don't have control over what the other person's going to say or do or react. We don't have a crystal ball for that. And so as far as therapists, when we make up for our mistakes or our fumbles, it's really so that part of it is CYA. Let's admit that. And part of it is also like best practice, right? Like we don't want to be complete a-holes, you know, like we also want to like try to do our best. And yeah. And there's some mistakes we can't fix, right? If you're a therapist out there having sex with your client, guess what? You cannot mitigate that harm. Yeah, no, don't do that. Mm -mm. (laughs) Just don't even go there, Mm -mm. right? No, there's no repairing that. You just need to go get some help. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, let's not forget that. That's a really good point, actually. Some mistakes are just like not even repairable. And those aren't even... Is that even a mistake, you think? Like, let's just get into the philosophy of that. Oh, such a big mistake. Is it a mistake or is that like deliberate, you know, like intent? Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Is that like, oops, (laughs) you know, you know, (laughs) I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think there's intent. I think, you know, it's, yeah, there's, if you're. What accidental mistakes, intentional mistakes, you know what I mean? Uh, it's it's yeah. just potato, potato, you know, you, you, <laughs> right? Maybe you can repair oh, it yeah. this way, you know, but I don't know if you can repair it this way, right? You know, higher power, you guys got to be okay with that. But as far as trying to make it and repair it oh, with this person you're harming, as therapists, uh-huh. that's why we take ethics. That's why we continue our education. That's why we have a network of people who are good and healthy. So we don't, do stupid mistakes like that. We do fun mistakes like not paying your taxes or breaking down in tears, you know, and, in, 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 you know, to people that look like our father. But, you know, good therapists don't mm-hmm. have sex with their clients. Good therapists don't hit on their clients. Good therapists don't. So lots of things, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Goodness. <laughs> I mm-hmm. didn't think we'd open up that can of worms. <laughs> yeah, but that's a can of worms, though. Like, mm-hmm. that's a valid can of worms. I didn't even think of that. So I'm glad you brought it up, because that's totally true. If there are, you know, people who are in therapy out there who feel like that weird sexual harassment kind of mm-hmm. situation with your therapist, get out of there and sue their ass. Like, yeah, mm. call the cops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any other mistakes slash foibles? <laughs> that you want to bring up before we end the conversation or any other points that maybe we missed? I'm going to be doing shameless plugs here because I think I know, and I'm not going to say I think, I know that I have built the last five to seven years of my career after that complaint happened against me, trying to help therapists 
understand that there is a way back from reasonable mistakes, right? Notwithstanding the the sex and all the other things, right? I wrote a Mm -hmm. book about it. I've done courses about it. I've based my philosophy for supervisors. So as counselors, I think those of us who've been in the business for a while are used to kind of a gotcha mentality, like so-and-so made a mistake, let's make a complaint. I think if we can just understand that there is a decision-making model, there are consultation groups, there are mentors, there are people who who can help you repair the damage, of course, you've always got to triage that damage, see what damage you've caused, because it's funny to talk about mistakes, you know, 10 years later, <laughs> but in the moment you can feel horrible. So if you are a counselor watching this or a grad student or even a somebody thinking about therapy, just know that your counselor's willing to repair mistakes if they put their foot in their mouth, if they say something or if they do something, they're willing to fix that. And uh, other therapists you know, if you're in a situation and you recognize you're making mistakes, there are communities out there where we're here to kind of wrap you up and wrap around you to so that you can fix what you need to fix. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the type of community and things that you offer with your practice? Sure. So uh, the community that I have two communities online, Facebook, I have Texas counselors creating badass businesses. And we are, I think, 1500 strong. And it is a healthy, supportive group. We wrap around one another, we ask silly questions. And we give very helpful, supportive, no snark allowed, you will be removed from the group. And uh, just no holds barred. We really want you to ask anything and everything when it comes to counseling and private practice and staying in business. We need you to stay in business because Texas communities need you. Texas Supervisor Training is another Facebook group that I have, and it's dedicated to mentoring. I think we have almost 800 supervisors in that group, making sure that they're teaching the next generation of counselors, therapists, the best they possibly can and the the most ethical way they can. So we focus on the rules. We focus on making sure everybody knows the rules. I have a YouTube channel, Kate Walker Training. If you Google Kate Walker, you're going to get a romance writer. So keep typing counselor and I will pop up eventually. And I don't write romance novels, but I do. Oh my gosh, I I didn't realize that. And I do training videos. I have a Thursday 30 live video broadcast that I do weekly, and we archive those there. I have a website, Kate Walker Training. I have a blog, hashtag Counselors for Life blog, where I help you maintain your practice, fix those mistakes. I have a book that I wrote. It just happens to be right here. My Next Steps, Create a Counseling Career You'll Love. It's available on Amazon and my website. And all the things. I think that's it. Oh, follow me on Instagram. I just posted a picture of Crystal and me. Yay, awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Again, lots of creative juices flowing over there with Dr. Kate. And thank you so much again for coming back onto the podcast. I love having you. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for your vulnerability and opening all the cans of worms with me. And for discussing. (laughs) Now we got to open the worms. (laughs) But thanks so much. And I hope to have you back on the future. Well, thank you Um, so much. And let me know when this goes live and I'll be sure to pump it up out there in the social media land. Yay. Awesome. Thanks so much. I hope you have a good rest of your day. And Uh, you have a good day too. See ya. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. 
rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist Pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time.